today's Bible reading for you now. It's from John chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. Again, John chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came down to the town of Bethany where Lazarus lived, the one he had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha was serving them and Lazarus was reclining at the table with Jesus. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, an ointment, and she emptied it on Jesus' feet. And then she wiped his feet with her hair and the perfume of the ointment filled the whole house. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. This wasn't because Judas cared about the poor. This was because Judas was a thief and as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that you should, she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me among you. I think we're going to worship again in song now. All right. No? Plans changed. Okay, I'll hand over to Courtney for the message. Thank you. Thanks, Kathy. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for coming out today in the wet weather. Uh, it's so lovely to see you all and to be uh, talking and studying John's Gospel. As you've just heard, uh, today's story is a heartwarming one. It revolves around an interaction with Jesus and one of his disciples known as Mary of Bethany. And we're going to go on a, a, a journey with Mary today. But before we do, I'd just like to make a few foundational comments. When I read this story and its parallel retellings in Mark 14 and Matthew 26, what stands out to me more than anything else is Mary's adoration for her Saviour her beautiful worship. Now, what do you think of when I say beautiful worship? I can tell you what I think of. A band playing beautiful music, and wasn't that beautiful, by the way, side note, wasn't that beautiful. Beautiful music that somehow draws us closer to God as we reflect on Him. But Mary didn't serenade Jesus with a song. She slathered his feet with oil. And for this, as recorded in Matthew and Mark, Jesus praised her, saying, She has done a beautiful thing to me. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. So obviously, uh, the motivation behind our worship is more in part important than the form the worship takes. So what is it then to worship something? Well, it probably won't surprise you to hear that there are many, many thoughts on the topic of worship, but Webster's Dictionary from 1828 simply defines it as to honour with extravagant love and extreme submission. I love that. To honour with extravagant love and extreme submission. But actually, you can honour, submit to and worship anything, whether it's rugby, your children, your job, 
But what does it accomplish when we make God the focus of our extravagant love and extreme submission? Well, again, many things. But what I'd like to show you today is that one, it allows us to delight in who God is and what he has done. And two, that it brings delight to God's heart also. So keep that in mind as we briefly step back in time. Let's imagine for a moment that we're back 2,000 years ago in ancient Israel. Jesus has just arrived in the small village of Bethany six days before the Passover and, spoiler alert, his own crucifixion. Jesus has become quite a contentious personality with people from all over coming to see him. And around this time of year with the Passover festival, Jerusalem is bustling, having grown from around 50,000 residents to several hundred thousand. So that means big crowds are coming to see the miracle worker with their own eyes. Some love him and worship him even as their long-awaited king. Others hate him and want him dead. Sometime during these six days before the Passover and his death, a dinner party is thrown in his honour. And here is where our tale unfolds. You turn to meet her gaze as Mary of Bethany, sister of Martha and Lazarus, says, Thank you for helping me organise the decorations. This place looks beautiful. Ready for a party. Martha's always saying I'm too slow and distracted. Maybe she's right. The flowers were a nice touch. Bit pricey, but what am I saying? Nothing is too good for him. Him? The man everyone wants to be near? Jesus of Nazareth. Who else? <laughs> He's come back from the village of Bethany, Bethany of Ephraim. Do you know it? Yeah. He's been laying low there since... since he raised Lazarus from the dead. To think my dead brother will be dining with him tonight. <laughs> you should have seen it. After four days in that dark, musty tomb, dead beyond doubt, smelling worse than the garbage at Gehenna, <laughs> my brother, my beautiful brother. I just feel so, so to have witnessed the impossible. He was dead, but now he lives. And yet, and yet, now, now the rabbis put himself in danger. He shouldn't really be here with us. But he's determined to go to Jerusalem for the Passover. And as you know, Jerusalem's only three kilometres up the road. So Bethany is a convenient stopover. <laughs> and you have to admit the view of the Mount of Olives is quite nice. Yes. 
They want to kill him, you know. Our religious leaders. Those men who, who reject the very king they claim to serve. He knows it. And yet here he comes. Him and the dusty dozen. So Jesus had been laying low in the village of Ephraim, which was a small town about 19 kilometres north of Jerusalem. And, and he'd been there because he knew that the, uh, the religious leaders were planning on trying to kill him, partly due to all the attention he was receiving after having raised Lazarus from the dead. So these were dangerous times. And also something worth noting was Mary and Martha's relationship with Jesus. They had been known to call him rabbi or teacher, as in chapter 11. Now, rabbis didn't usually teach women, although Jesus did, as we can tell from an earlier story where Mary was sitting at the teacher's feet, soaking up every word. We can confidently count these women among Jesus' disciples who listened to his teaching and applied it to their lives. And what we see here in chapter 12 is that Mary seems to have had a real sense about what was coming. Strangely, the 12 disciples are often portrayed as being hopelessly clueless and close-minded to the coming Passion Week and all that it holds for their Lord despite Jesus having announced it on his coming death on several prior occasions. Mary, on the other hand, seems to have been listening with a spiritual comprehension. And she accepts and believes that Jesus has the ability to work miracles even in death. She'd seen it firsthand with Lazarus. The words and actions of Jesus were perceived as scandalous, countercultural, and as his disciple, so are hers. You're in the kitchen having a sneaky handful of dates when you hear it. The disapproving murmurs, the hushed tones, a voice that sounds like Jesus' voice. You can't quite make out what was being said, but it, it seemed important. Mary stumbles back through the door with a dazed look on her face, hair down, all dishevelled, wet, smelling very strongly of something musky. You ask her, what happened? She responds, I... I... I don't, oh wow, all the way back here, oh, I always wondered what that smelled like, oh, sorry, um, well, Martha was hollering about olives or something and it looks like you've been having a well-deserved break, that I was distracted by him. From where I was standing, I could tell that, that something was different, a heaviness of spirit, as though something were coming. He's spoken about it before, that he'll die and rise again. 
everyone debates what he means by that. I mean, he, he does often speak in parables. But I, I think he really meant it. I don't know. I just, I, there was just such a weight in his eyes and I, I just felt compelled to do something, to, to, to offer him something before it was too late. So I grabbed that alabaster flask, yeah, the beautiful smooth one, and I took it to where he was reclining by the table. I broke it open for the first time. Ah, oh, that smell. I bet the Himalayas smell just like that. <laughs> Sorry. And, and then I, I poured it all onto his feet. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, right? <laughs> and then I dropped to my knees, pulled off my headscarf, and wiped his feet with my hair. I, I know what it sounds like, but, but, but none of that matters. He knew my intentions were pure. And I know... I know it seems irresponsible, unwise even, to, to throw away everything you have on one man, but, but he's not just a man. And my only regret is that I didn't have more to give. To worship is to honour with extravagant love and extreme submission. Mary's actions were scandalous and unusual, to say the least. Unusual in that guests were commonly anointed at feasts, on their head, not their feet, and not usually with an entire jar of oil. It was scandalous in that no respectable Jewish woman would be caught with her hair down in public and using it to wipe someone's feet would have been even more humiliating. What's more, washing someone's feet culturally was a servant's job, a dirty, distasteful job. No one wanted to go near those sm smelly, sore, dirt-encrusted feet. And even when washed, being in close proximity to them was probably not an enviable situation. But in an interesting way, Mary is always associated with Jesus' feet. Whether she's sitting at his feet, soaking up his words, falling at his feet after her brother's death, or wiping his feet with, his, with her hair. And perhaps this frequent posture of humility could, gives us a little glimpse of the love, adoration and devotion Mary felt for her teacher. Mary came face to face with the king of the universe and she delighted in him. To worship God is to be in his presence humbly expressing the delight we feel for who he is. But by far the most mind-blowing detail of this story was Mary's excessive use of the pure nard oil or spike nard. 
Oil is a useful product, something most of us use without a second thought these days. So it's, it's not something that costs us a great deal um, or that we would consider very valuable. Um, but we have to understand that in our story today, the stakes are much higher than your average everyday cooking oil. In ancient Israel, they did use oil for cooking. Uh, and in fact, it was a staple in their lives. But there were other types of oil, like the spike nard in our story, that were very, very expensive. This was because the naturally fragrant oil from plants such as nard had to be imported from India, Arabia, Iran, uh, Nepal. And for, about, for a pint of about 473 mils, that's the equivalent, it cost about a year's wages. So if you kind of convert that to modern times in Australia, uh, that could be anywhere from around $40,000 or more spent entirely on one small 473 mil jar of oil. I don't know about you, but that strikes me as crazy, almost unbelievable. But in ancient Israel, this kind of oil was very valuable and important. It could be used in religious ceremonies, uh, for medicine, as medicine, for cosmetic reasons, who doesn't like to smell nice, um, to anoint any guests who come to your home, and most importantly for today's story, to be placed on those who are about to be buried. For someone like Mary, this jar of oil, this unopened jar of oil, might have been a family heirloom, her inheritance or a form of social security, something to sell if her marriage ended or her husband died. It was her, her um, backup plan, her future security. And this, uh, this treasured possession became a vessel of her worship, a costly sacrifice, a symbol of the extravagant love she had for her Lord. Unfortunately, many great acts of selflessness and generosity, and they're not always well received by others, even those you might call your friends. And they can be criticized and misinterpreted. You're still quite stunned by Mary's story. You don't quite know what to make of it. So you ask her, what did the others say? What did they think? Good question. I was severely, what's the word? Scolded. I'm sure you heard the murmurs. Judas was unhappy, to put it mildly. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? He wasn't wrong. I could have done that. And I did begin to doubt what I had done. Was I foolish? Impulsive? Shameful? Was I wasteful? I, Courtney, am a pretty frugal person. I generally like to save money and not waste it on things that I would deem unnecessary. So when I read that Judas had an issue with the whole perfume debacle, I'm not really surprised. 
I had the same reaction. Mary, are you crazy? Throwing away a year's wages on something he's just going to wash off before he goes to bed? Judas's response seemed pretty reasonable to me, especially since it was actually a common Jewish custom to give gifts to the poor on the evening of Passover. So in a sense, she had just missed the perfect opportunity. But our author, John, throws in a little disclaimer here that stops us from heading too far down that path. Verse 6, he says, He did not say this because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Judas talked a good talk. He sounded as though he really cared. But behind that thin veneer of goodwill for the poor, he was hiding a greedy, covetous and dishonest heart. He worshipped money. And what's more, he was arrogant. He didn't understand Mary's worship and he looked down on her for it. I remember when I was about 19, I was on a three-week tour of Israel and we were taken to Mount Carmel to stay for the night at the centre and the next morning there was a Sunday church gathering. Now, two things struck me about this gathering that I will probably never forget. Firstly, I had a man, a stranger, come to me and tell me that he had a word for me. (laughs) Now... Being young, naive, and having a fairly conservative background, um, I assumed the worst. What word was he going to use to describe me? Silly and facetious were words that my mother had occasionally shot off in my direction, but how did he know? He must have seen the look of sheer horror on my face because he smiled kindly and continued, God sees that you have the heart of a Mary, that you love to sit at his feet and learn of him. Don't stop. That took me by surprise. But nothing could compare to what I saw next as the music team began to play. There were flags and flag bearers doing some sort of unrehearsed freestyle contemporary dance. It frightened me. I found it odd, unusual, scandalous even. I wanted it to stop. I didn't understand. When I look back on that moment, if I'm honest, it feels more like I had the heart of a Judas than the heart of a Mary. I did a Judas. To do a Judas, in my mind, is to judge others for their worship when it seems excessive, eccentric or improper to us, thinking only we know best. It's also to come to Jesus with self-centred motivations, thinking only of what we can gain from being with God, whether it's social status or material wealth, instead of considering what we might give to him. But to do a Mary to fall at his feet with with no thought of what it might cost us. 
That is beautiful worship and is pleasing to our Saviour, as we can see in our story. You understand the disciples' reactions, but what you want to know is how he reacted. What did he think of all this? He said, he said, leave her alone. No scolding, no lectures. He smiled. He defended me. He knew my heart. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. He said that. It was intended. My worship was acceptable to him, maybe even ordained. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Don't you see what he's saying? His time has come. Jesus said, This perfume was intended for the day of my burial. Jesus declares that Mary's costly gift was to be seen as a sign that pointed to a greater cost that he would soon pay. His impending death, burial, and burial after the suffering the very wrath of God. We also see here that true worship delights the heart of God. Why are you bothering this woman? She's done a beautiful thing to me. Mary's worship blessed the heart of Jesus and he was pleased. Mary's her worship flowed from a heart that knew Jesus and believed in his mission, that he would die and rise again and so save the world from the punishment it deserved, a heart that loved him for who he was, not for what he could give her. Mary's beautiful worship was an extravagant response to understanding who Jesus truly was and what he was about to do. For us, our worship is also an extravagant response to understanding who Jesus truly is and what he has done. Our faith is a practical faith. It calls us to worship in an intentional way as modern day disciples glorifying God's name with everything we are and everything we have. Romans 12.1 urges us, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Paul is saying here that in view of God's mercy, when we understand what Jesus has done for us, we should demonstrate our love, devotion and delight by offering our entire selves to God on a daily basis. 
we can choose to sacrifice our sinful cravings in order that Jesus might be honoured and delighted through our pure and holy lives. No situation is wasted. Every single part of your day can be worship. A walking, talking, living, breathing sacrifice offered from a place of extravagant love and extreme submission. It's a costly way to live. It is. But the cost of the cross was greater. And it's worth it, isn't it? To experience the deep delight that true worship brings to our heart as well. So the musicians are going to play a reflective song for us now. And I'd love for all of us to just spend some time silently blessing God for who he is and for what he has done. Perhaps you're already experiencing the deep delight that comes from a heart poured out at the feet of Jesus. Why don't you thank him? We may need to ask forgiveness for the times that we've come to him with selfish or impure motives or judged others for their worship. And maybe it's time once more to offer to him everything we are and everything we have, keeping no part hidden for ourselves in order that our lives might be a delightful blessing to his heart an extravagant act of beautiful worship with our words and actions pointing toward the Saviour of the world.
She